With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips. Insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. And today's episode is, Why is the Eucharist a Mystery? So, Bishop, are we talking about a Sherlock Holmes detective movie mystery? No, not at all. It's a mystery because it surpasses human understanding, but it's it's something that we can grow in our understanding of the Eucharist. But because it's something that is supernatural in many ways, it, it can be something that we can study and grow in our understanding of the Holy Eucharist, using our reason, using the scriptures, God's revelation to us, but we'll never fully comprehend the mystery until heaven when we're with the Lord face to face. So why do we have these mysteries? Why can't God just make everything easy to understand for us? And then we just be on board and we get it and like, oh yeah, this is. This well, is God is so great and he is omniscient, which means all knowing. He's all powerful. He's perfect love and we're creatures. And therefore we can always grow in our understanding and in our love but we're not God and mm-hmm. we are creatures. And therefore we can be grateful to God for revealing to us about himself. And of course he revealed himself most, especially in his son who became man. So we have that perfect revelation of the father, the perfect revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And there are other mysteries of our faith as well. I mean, we have the mystery of the incarnation, mm. you know, it's, it's really, we can't totally fathom that God became man, that the word became flesh, and that he assumed our human nature. Mm-hmm. It is something true that we believe by faith. It's not something irrational, but it's mm-hmm. something that surpasses our human reason. And that's the same with all the mysteries, the mystery of the Holy Trinity, which is mm-hmm. the mystery of God in himself, the mystery of the resurrection. I mean, mm-hmm. that... It's something beyond our our human experience. And it's the same thing with the Holy Eucharist. It's beyond our human experience that God can change the the substance or the reality of material elements, bread and wine, Hmm. into himself, into the very body and blood of his son. So, yeah, and it's such a great mystery. It's an awesome mystery. And I always love talking about the Holy Eucharist. I even have the Holy Eucharist in my coat of arms. Uh, listeners who've seen my coat of arms, the the left side is the coat of arms of the diocese. That's for every bishop. And then the right side is more of a personal coat of arms. And mm. I was uh, ordained a bishop in 2004, which was the year of the Eucharist. It was a year designated by St. John Paul II as the year of the Eucharist. And in the seminary, I had taught the theology course on the Eucharist. So I wanted the Eucharist to be prominent in the coat of arms, and it, and, and it is, with rays of light shining from it, showing Jesus as the light of the world. 
And then, of course, we're in the midst of our national three-year National Eucharistic Revival, which is an opportunity for Catholics in the United States to grow in their faith and understanding of the mystery of the Eucharist. The U.S. bishops last year, and I worked on this a lot in the Committee on Doctrine, issued a document entitled The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, and I highly recommend our listeners to read this. It's not difficult reading. It's very clear. But it's a way for us to focus during these three years on the wondrous gift that Jesus left us on the night before he died. And the more we reflect on the Eucharistic mystery, the more amazing it is when we grow in our understanding of it. You know, St. John Paul in his his last encyclical, John Paul II wrote 14 encyclicals, and his last Mm. one was the encyclical on the Eucharist, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. And I think that's also another, well, I'll be recommending a lot of things to read, but if I wanted to recommend, you know, kind of key documents that people want during this revival to, to uh, grow in their understanding and love for the Eucharist, that's one document I would highly recommend, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. If you don't remember the Latin, it's in English, they just say on the Eucharist. All you have to do is look up John Paul's encyclical on the Eucharist. So I'm happy to talk about it today. Yeah. I'm trying to take notes as we go to so that I can put the links in the show notes as well, because encyclicals you, of course, can buy, but are also available free online if you want to read them online. This is going to be part one of what we're anticipating to be a four-part series. So this will be kind of the introduction, and then there'll be three separate ones. This is based off of talks that you've been giving in the diocese How have those been received? Very well. I mean, I was really happy with the attendance, both in Fort Wayne and in Granger. A lot of people came out, over 500 at each one, and that was really impressive to spend a a whole day, basically, a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And my talks were about an hour long, three hours long, but people seemed to, they were very positive. I got a lot of positive feedback. We also celebrated Mass together. And people knew that this wasn't just going to be like a surface talk on the Eucharist, that I was going to go more deeply. And I think we need to do that sometimes. I think, you know, sometimes people say, oh, no, well, people's attention span only talk. Well, I disagree with that. Okay. I'm not saying we should have real long homilies, but (laughs) but I think people are capable of going to a conference and listening to talks on the Eucharist if they want to grow in their knowledge. Mm -hmm. I mean, we go to other conferences that have various presentations or speeches I think conferences on our faith are important. And I know a lot of people, and young adults included, who've said to me, Bishop, thank you for going deeper. You know, sometimes we just stay on a superficial level and we have questions and we want to go deeper. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And I'm happy to do that here on in these talks. I won't be giving everything that I gave at the conferences, but I'll basically be giving a summary of what I spoke about, if you'd like. Now, those conferences, I did have some PowerPoints so that when I shared quotes, for example, like from the encyclical of John Paul or other quotes, I would have them up on the PowerPoint. So that's one thing about radio or you can't really, you know, see, but you can always look them up. I'll give references. I also used art, some beautiful Eucharistic art as part of the presentation, as well as music. Three great hymns written by St. Thomas Aquinas. Each of the talks I began with one of the great Eucharistic hymns 
with some artistic imagery so that people could get in that meditative spirit before I gave the more academic or theological presentation. Yeah. I, actually, Josh is helping us record here. Do you know when these videos might be uploaded from the conference? So, okay, so either maybe by the time this comes out or by, certainly by the time the fourth one comes out, these will be available. So we'll get the links in the show notes. Oh, good. I didn't realize that. are available that, as well. Because people can go on the website. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And watch the talks with the, with the presentation as well. Oh, good. Okay, thanks for sharing the good news. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what else do we need to know about the Eucharist as mystery? Well, I think the, the way I like to discuss it is the three main aspects of the Eucharist. First is the Eucharist as a sacrifice. Second, the, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Mm. And third, Holy Communion, the Eucharist as a mystery of communion. So okay. we're not talking about three mysteries. We're talking about three aspects mm -hmm. of the one mystery. So if one asked me, well, Bishop, how would you describe like the whole mystery? I said, well, if I had to bring those three aspects together into one, it's the mystery of love. The Eucharist is a mystery of love, the sacrament of charity. So looking at this, um, it's really the Eucharist is the mystery of Christ's love to the end. as. St. John in his gospel, when he begins this, the chapter on the Last Supper, you know, where Jesus, the washing of the feet, St. John writes that Jesus loved them and he loved them to the end, mm. okay, to giving his, his life on the cross. So I look at the three aspects as really aspects of love, sacrifice, presence, and communion. There's a great quote. Going back, I mentioned how when I was ordained a bishop in 2004, it was the year of the Eucharist. And St. John Paul died in April of 2005, and it was still in the midst of the year of the Eucharist. Hmm. And there was a synod of bishops on the theme of the Eucharist that John Paul had called for. But it was ended up being Pope Benedict XVI who presided at that synod okay. in 2005. And then often after a synod, the Pope will write what's called an apostolic exhortation, where he would kind of write uh, about the topic and the, you know, using the discussions that took place mm -hmm. and the propositions that were approved by the bishops at the synod. So Pope Benedict XVI did that, and in 2007, issued the apostolic exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis, okay. the Sacrament of Charity. So that's another document that I highly recommend. But the first paragraph of that apostolic exhortation is so beautiful, and I'd like to quote that because it really focuses on what I've been talking about, the Eucharist as a mystery of love. He writes... The sacrament of charity, the Holy Eucharist, is the gift that Jesus Christ makes of himself, thus revealing to us God's infinite love for every man and woman. This wondrous sacrament makes manifest that greater love which led him to lay down his life for his friends. It's a quote from John 15, mm -hmm. verse 13. 
Pope Benedict continues, Jesus did indeed love them to the end. In those words, the evangelist introduces Christ's act of immense humility. Before dying for us on the cross, he tied a towel around himself and washed the feet of his disciples. In the same way, Jesus continues in the sacrament of the Eucharist to love us to the end, even to offering us his body and his blood. What amazement must the apostles have felt in witnessing what the Lord did and said during that supper? What wonder must the Eucharistic mystery also awaken in our own hearts? So that paragraph, I think, is so beautiful, focusing on the Eucharist as the sacrament of Christ's love to the end, and how amazing it is. And kind of like John Paul, Pope Benedict expresses amazement in what Jesus did and said at the Last Supper. So these three aspects of love that I mentioned, sacrifice, presence, and communion, it's the way I structured my talks at the conferences. Mm -hmm. And I got the idea from a theologian by the name of Lawrence Feingold. And he wrote a, a great book. It's very thick and a bit expensive, but that's because it's hardback and very <laughs> thick. But it's kind of like the best comprehensive theological work on the Eucharist that I've seen. As a matter of fact, if that was published when I was teaching the course on the Eucharist in the seminary, I would have used that as the mm. text. But it's entitled The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. And in the first chapter of that book, he presents three aspects of love that are the three dimensions of the Eucharist as a mystery of presence, sacrifice, and communion. So I, I think that's a really excellent theological reflection on the Eucharist, to think first of love. And whether you're thinking about the love of friendship, or I would say even especially the love of spouses. And true love includes sacrifice. Sacrifice for the beloved. Okay? It also includes presence. True love seeks to dwell with the beloved. Mm -hmm. A lover seeks to dwell, to be with the beloved. Mm -hmm. Presence. And third, true love unites oneself to the beloved as intimately as possible. That's communion. Think about the Eucharist then in this light as the mystery of love. I remember sometimes uh, Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict would speak about the Eucharist as a nuptial sacrament, that it's the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride, Christ the bridegroom and the church, his bride. So the Eucharist embodies Jesus's spousal love for his bride or us. So think about the Eucharist as a mystery of sacrifice. Jesus, is, Jesus gives himself in sacrifice for us, for the beloved, the church. Mm -hmm. And his love for us is sacrificial and infinitely so. 
He gave his life for us on the cross. The Eucharist is fundamentally Jesus' sacrificial offering of himself to the Father on our behalf. It is one with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, on Calvary. And Jesus makes himself present as the victim of Calvary, offered by himself as the high priest. So he's both the priest offering the sacrifice, and he's the victim being offered. Well, that's sacrifice on the cross is represented at every Mass. That's why we call it the Eucharistic sacrifice or the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And I, I think this is what you'll get more into whenever we do that episode, but I feel like this is maybe the one that I personally, maybe Catholics as, as a whole and, and non-Catholics have, have a hardest time with. So I get presence that Jesus is present in the Eucharist and I get there's a communion. There's this entering into me. There's this very physical uniting that's happening when I receive the Eucharist. But I think there's a huge disconnect between the crucifixion and the Eucharist. They seem like two completely different things. Right. That, yes, Jesus died for our sins. He also instituted the Eucharist, which is this amazing sacrament that we have. But the connection between the two, I'm really excited to, to hear yeah, more about that. And I will get into that because I think, and a lot of people came up to me at both conferences saying that it was my talk on Eucharist as sacrifice, which they appreciated the most because just as you said, they said the same thing. It's the one we had the hardest time really understanding, even though we talk of it as the sacrifice of the mass. Right. But yet the Eucharist is an act. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I better not again. get ahead of myself or we'll be. <laughs> yeah. But then again, this is kind of by way of introduction. Mm -hmm. So then the second aspect, the Eucharist as presence, again, a lover desires to be with the beloved, mm -hmm. to dwell with the beloved. So Jesus dwells with us, his beloved church in the Eucharist. He's really present, truly and substantially present. Jesus instituted the Eucharist to be the sacrament by which he would continue to dwell with his disciples on earth in his sacred humanity, even as his body would ascend into heaven. He would continue to dwell with us in this sacrament. And third, the Eucharist is a mystery of communion. So does the lover not only gives himself for the beloved and dwells with the beloved, but the lover gives himself in the most intimate way to the beloved. So when you think of Christ, the bridegroom's love for us, for his beloved spouse, the church, it is unitive. It's unitive. He gives himself to us in Holy Communion by which he nourishes us with his life. He becomes food for ourselves. He unites himself to us. So these are all, these three aspects, sacrifice, presence, communion, they're intimately connected aspects of love. And they are the three aspects of the sacrament of love, the Holy Eucharist. I know, Kyle, you said that this is by way of introduction, and we'll get to Eucharist as sacrifice, but there's another notion that is really important that might take a little 
while to explain. I don't know how we're doing in time, but it's the notion of the Eucharist as a memorial. Hmm. In other words, to understand the issue of sacrifice, we have to understand this notion of memorial. So hopefully we're in, in good time. Yeah. Um, because some people could say, or could object and say, well, Bishop, what you've been talking about is something that happened 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jesus gave his life for us in sacrifice 2,000 years ago when he freely embraced death on the cross. And back then, he dwelled with us physically on earth for 33 years. Mm -hmm. He gave himself to us at his consecration. So this is something in the past. How can you talk about this as something in the present? And I'd respond by recounting what Jesus said when he instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper. He said, do this in memory of me. Mm -hmm. Do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean? It's really extremely important to understand the Jewish notion of memorial. It's the reliving of a past event. The Last Supper was a Passover meal, or it took place during the time of the Passover. There's some debate because Matthew, Mark, Luke speak of it as a Passover meal, and John has it taking place at the time that the lambs were being sacrificed. So anyhow, I won't get into that. That's a whole nother episode. But, but if it wasn't a, a Passover meal itself, it was at the time of the Passover. So for the Jewish people, the Passover celebration in some way participates in the events of the Exodus from Egypt. Hmm. So they celebrate the past event as something real and present now. Right. And they believe as they celebrate the Passover meal that the God who freed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the desert to the promised land is with them now to deliver them and will be with them in the future. Therefore, when Jesus said, do this in memory of me, he did not mean when you do this, think of me, but that his people are to do this as a living memorial of him. Since the Last Supper on Holy Thursday anticipated Good Friday, my blood will be poured out for you. And since Good Friday is completed by Easter and the resurrection, all of these events are aspects of the same mystery, the Paschal mystery. The Lord was establishing a sacrificial meal that would make present the mystery of the cross both his death and his resurrection, in a sacramental way, just as the Passover meal makes the Exodus present for the Jewish people. Mm. So this sacred banquet would make the new Exodus of the Lord Jesus from death to life really present for his followers in the church. St. Paul made this very clear, and this is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. So we believe, and the Catechism says this, 
that the Eucharist is the sacrificial memorial of Christ's Passover. Here's what the Catechism says in number 1363. In the sense of sacred scripture, the memorial is not merely the recollection of past events, but the proclamation of the mighty works wrought by God for men. In the liturgical celebration of these events, they become in a certain way present and real. This is how Israel understands its liberation from Egypt. Every time Passover is celebrated, the Exodus events are made present to the memory of believers so that they may conform their lives to them. That's number 1363 of the Catechism. And then in 1364, the Catechism says, in the New Testament, the memorial takes on new meaning. When the church celebrates the Eucharist, she commemorates Christ's Passover, and it is made present. The sacrifice offered once for all on the cross remains ever present. As often as the sacrifice of the cross by which Christ our Passover has been sacrificed is celebrated on the altar, the work of our redemption is carried out. Is this maybe a language thing that I feel like today, if you were to talk about a memorial service or anything like that, say Memorial Day, like we're not, nothing is physically present to us on that. It's just a a remembering, a, a reminder to pray for recollection those, of a person, yeah, recollection yeah, honoring, of a person. Yeah. Yeah. It, so is there it's maybe different, yeah. a, a language issue here? It is because that's why the catechism explains that we have to understand the biblical notion yeah. of memorial and how this is understood by the, how it was understood by the Jews because okay. that's how Jesus used it. Yeah. Um, so try to think of it this way. Um, Earlier in the Catechism, when it talks about the liturgy, in, it, it talks about how we're talking about a real historical event, the Paschal mystery of Christ, his passion, death, resurrection, ascension. This is a unique event in all of history, but it's an event that does not pass away. Mm. Okay, so this is what makes it unique. It doesn't pass away it becomes present. So maybe, again, I think the best thing is to quote the Catechism, number 1085, and then I try to explain it. But it says in Catechism number 1085, his Paschal mystery is a real event that occurred in our history, but it is unique. Other historical events happen once, mm. and then they pass away, swallowed up in the past. The Paschal mystery of Christ, by contrast, cannot remain only in the past because by his death, he destroyed death and all that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for all men participates in the divine eternity and so transcends all times while being made present in them all. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything toward life. So, the divine eternity. Okay, God is not limited by time or space for that matter. Mm -hmm. So everything that Christ did 
transcends all time. And it's being made present. The event of the cross and resurrection is made present on the altar. That's so when we say it's the memorial of Christ's Passover, Jesus said, Do this in memory of me. He said that. He instituted the Eucharist so that the event of his Paschal mystery wouldn't just remain in the past. That's why he instituted the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. It's not confined to the past. It's the living memorial of our Lord's death and resurrection. Mm. It's his body and his blood that become present, for example. And I'll talk about that when I talk about Eucharist as sacrifice as well. Like, in what sense is it a sacrifice? Mm -hmm. But really, when at every Mass, after the priest says the words of institution, after he says the words that Jesus said over the bread and the wine at the Last Supper, the priest then uh, elevates the host, he elevates the chalice, he genuflects each time. And after he's finished, after he genuflects after the consecration of the wine, he sings or he says, the mystery of faith. Mm -hmm. Well, think about the response of the people. They're, it's called the memorial acclamation. There's three of them. So each one of them, the, the people are acclaiming the sacramental truth that Christ and his sacrifice is now present on the altar recalling his saving work and its redemptive effects. So we can say one of the three acclamations is right out of St. Paul. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Hmm. Another, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. And the third, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. So the Eucharist contains the church's mystery of faith. And the faithful announce this central truth of the faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. And immediately after that response, the priest continues the Eucharistic prayer with what's called the anamnesis. The anam anamnesis is a Greek word, which means memorial. Mm. So then the, right after the, the proclamation of the mystery of faith, that first paragraph that the priest prays calls to mind the passion, resurrection, and glorious return of Jesus Christ. She, the church, presents to the Father the offering of his son, which reconciles us with him. So the word anamnesis, there's a definition in the catechism. It's the remembrance of God's saving deeds in history in the liturgical action of the church, which inspires thanksgiving and praise. Every Eucharistic prayer contains an anamnesis or memorial in which the church calls to mind the passion, resurrection, and glorious return of Christ Jesus. So, the understanding of the Eucharist as memorial in the proper biblical sense, the sense of Scripture, the 
Jewish understanding. This is so important mm -hmm. for us to understand what it means to say the Eucharist is a sacrifice. So we can get, I guess, in the next episode yeah. into that. Very good. All right. Well, again, I will look up these links to the different documents and books that you suggested, as well as the videos as soon as they're available. We'll put those in the show notes here so people can find that. You can go to spokestreet.com slash askbishop. Go directly to this show and all of the notes that are there. Uh, but thank you for this introduction. And again, there'll be three more parts to this, uh, unless they go long and we turn it into like Might. nine yeah, I'll more try parts. To, I'll try not to talk as long. I hope that wasn't too, <laughs> no, I wasn't perfect. too wordy here. All right. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.